Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Today we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit. And I'm very aware uh, that there's a broad spectrum of people in the room today as we talk about the Holy Spirit. We're specifically going to be talking about fire and wind. The Holy Spirit is described as oil and water and as a dove. Um, But today we're talking about fire and wind. So as it relates to the Holy Spirit... When I say I'm going to be speaking today about the Holy Spirit, when you've come in, we have all different backgrounds. And so for some of you, you might be thinking, oh, yeah, Spirit, of course. Like my background, I know all about spirits. So of course, when I come to church, I'm going to expect to hear that kind of thing. But maybe you've only heard of spiritual things or in scary movies. And you're like, I did not expect to come to church and hear a preach on the Holy Spirit. That sounds a little bit freaky. Uh, so it could, it could be any end of the spectrum for you. You might have been here for a while and you've heard the Holy Spirit be sung about or be referred to, but you're still not entirely sure where His place is. And so you also might be just, I've never heard of the Holy Spirit before. And if that's you, you're like, yeah, I've never actually heard of the Holy Spirit. You're in really good company because there's this verse in the Bible where Paul is talking to some people and they've decided to stop going their own way and go Jesus' way. And they're like, oh, um, we've repented. And Paul says, well, have you been baptised in the Holy Spirit? And they say, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so they uh, then find out about him. So you're in good company if you've never heard of the Holy Spirit. Let me just take you back through a short recap of the biblical narrative about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there at the beginning in the origin story of where the chaotic waters are there in the deep and the Spirit is hovering over the waters with creative and energetic life-giving potential. That is where the Spirit finds Himself. He is ready to go. And then also what He does across the ages, He empowers people uh, perhaps for to do something beautiful and creative, like create something gorgeous for the temple or to lead a nation or to fight an enemy. He's described as the breath or the wind of God throughout the Old Testament. And he empowers people to do things. At some point, the narrative begins to shift a little and the Spirit's described as someone who brings wisdom and understanding to people. Someone who empowers and anoints. And then it keeps kind of going and and then the narrative goes to where the Holy Spirit is prophesied, what Kath and Don were just talking about, predicted, promised that He's going to rest on a future leader. He'll actually come and rest on a leader. But then a game-changing statement is made. In 350 BC, a prophet called Joel makes a statement. And he says, In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, young, old, male, female, educated, uneducated, whatever socioeconomic background you come from, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And and he says this, and, and, and that is predicted and prophesied about And it would have been completely unfamiliar. They would have been used to the Holy Spirit coming upon a person for a task. This concept of being poured out would have been crazy. But New Testament, that's what happens. When people receive Jesus, they receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in whoever receives Jesus. And this is the great leveller. Because it can't be that Tim looks at me and says, Bron, you're probably the best Bible teacher I've ever come across in all my life. Can I get an amen, Tim? 
<laughs> um, but it might be that, that it, it actually doesn't matter. This could be your first time to church, you receive Jesus. We are then at the same level because the Holy Spirit is the great leveler. He is the one who empowers. It's not your good works. It's not your intelligence. It's nothing like that. It's not how much money you make or give. It's Him who makes the difference. And then as time goes on, he is the comforter. He is the advocate. He is the helper. He is the anointer. He is the empowerer. He is the one who enables people to boldly speak about Jesus. He is the one who opens their eyes to His perspective. That is the Holy Spirit. You might say, well, Bron, is He God? Yes, He is. He is God. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But I want to just point out to you today That if that whole three-in-one thing pulls you up, maybe you've been exploring faith and when you get to what's called the Trinity, not actually a word in the Bible, the Trinity, you go, oh, I I can't understand that. I can't wrap my head around that. I'm I'm just done. I want to encourage you today to parking lot that. Just go, okay, it's a thing I'm still wrestling with. I'm going to put that there, but I'm going to listen to what Bron has to say today. And let's see what we will learn from the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, right now, Lord, I just pray that you'll stir our hearts. Lord, in Gaira, Lord, in Armidale, in Bendemir, Lord, here, right now, in Gunnedah and online, that you will stir our hearts, Lord, with a hunger, with a passion for you, Lord. Lord, that we wouldn't just be here and we'd be sitting under some teaching and then we're going to go and have our Sunday. But Lord, you will arrest our hearts today. I ask that boldly. Lord, according to your will, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus made this promise before He died and rose again in John 14, verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognise Him. But you know Him and because He, because he lives with you now, talking to the disciples before Jesus died and resurrected, He lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Teenagers in the room, I just want to highlight this verse to you. I was a teenager at a youth camp feeling incredibly lonely. And I opened up my Bible and I said, God, I need something from you. I feel so lonely. And this was the verse. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So if you're a teenager in the room, I just want you to grab a hold of that verse. Says that the Holy Spirit is promised here. Now, that's just not the only time that Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit and not the first time he was alluded to for them. In fact, years before, John the Baptist publicly alluded to the baptism of the Holy Spirit after Jesus' baptism. In John chapter 1, verse 32, it says, Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest. Remember I said that it was prophesied that the Holy Spirit would rest upon a future leader and rest is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testify that He is the chosen one of God. Now, when Jesus died and rose again, His last instructions to the disciples pertained to that promise. Verse 46 of Luke 24. And He said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of His name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. I'm just going to pause for a sec. Am I doing something with that mic? Is it okay? It's fine, great. 
as I was saying, verse 49. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And that's what they did. They waited and they gathered in a room, 120 odd people. And in Acts chapter two, verse one, it says on the day of Pentecost, so 50 weeks after Passover, all the believers were meeting together in one place, 50 days after Passover. Thank you. Um, Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. The result of this occurrence was, this phenomenon was, that Peter, who previously was so scared that he a little servant girl put him right off and she said, weren't you with Jesus? And he was like, I know, I deny Jesus. He disavowed him. He distanced himself from Jesus. That same guy who gets challenged by a servant girl now is able to stand up in front of thousands of people and preach the gospel. That's what the Holy Spirit does for Peter. And the result of that in verse 37 is, Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptised baptised and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Now on that day, as a result of the gospel being preached in power and in boldness, there are pierced hearts, there's a desire for change and there's a turning to God. That is what takes place. There's pierced hearts, a desire for change and a turning to God. That is what the result of a move of the Holy Spirit should be. Perhaps you're someone who you were like, well, you know, all my friends, Back in the day, in youth group, they all like had this manifestation of the Holy Spirit and then they went to school and they were exactly the same person as they were on the weekend. A move of God needs to have the fruit of changed lives and changed hearts. And that is what we desire in this place. That's what we desire everywhere where we worship is that there'd be a repentance where it's a change of who I am from the inside out when the Holy Spirit moves. And I say, yeah, Brian, okay, I get it. Like, of course, repentance, changed hearts, turn to God, um, preach the gospel, got it. Um, But like you said that the title of the message is Fire and Wind. And you just read that passage about, you know, the tongues of fire and the windstorm. And can you please go back to that? Definitely. Thank you. I will Um, right now. It's uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. A mighty windstorm and fire. And for us, we might think that's pretty random manifestations of some move of God. But for these first century Jews, they knew exactly what was happening in this moment. You see, the narrative that I outlined was their story. That was who they were. That was what they valued. They learnt those stories from a really young age. They didn't have Netflix. It was generation to generation being passed down, valuable teaching for them. And so we'll go to the start, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Spirit of God just hovering there. That word is ruach elohim. 
If you are not nasally congested this morning, can you say that with me? Rach Elohim. Some people are not game. They don't want the aftermath. Rach Elohim, the breath or the wind of God, the breath of God, the wind of God, empowering, life-giving, energetic potential. The next instance and the instances thereafter, there are elements both of judgment and rescue contained in there. And in the garden, what happens is that, you know, we read it and I've read it all my life as that God came to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. That's the only time that it appears. But actually the cool of the day isn't there at all. It's the breezy time of day. That's the kind of best translation or the wind of the day. And, and I don't doubt that God did used to come and walk with them. It's the most beautiful picture ever. But in this moment, what many scholars say is that He came like a windstorm in that moment. Because in that moment, Adam and Eve had turned away from God, disobeyed Him and gone their own way. And so He comes like a wind ready to point out what they've done. Why? Because He hates them and wants to punish them? No, because He wants to rescue them. He knows that they need saving now. And so He comes like a windstorm. He comes like a mighty storm to rescue them. And He spills the first blood of all creation that's ever spilled and He covers up what they've done. Uh, The next time that the Ruach Elohim appears is in the time of Noah. Um, and, And what's happened is that the earth has been judged the Bible says, and you might have heard it last week, is that, that not a single person thought anything good in their hearts. They all thought evil things. And there's been judgment, but God has saved a remnant in order to redeem the earth. And it says that the wind blows and the waters recede and Noah is able to start again. The Ruach Elohim blows again. Then Moses in Egypt says to Pharaoh, let my people go as God has instructed him. And he holds out his staff and a wind blows and all the locusts come. And the wind blows again and the locusts go. But then the next time he holds it out is when they're at the Red Sea, at the edge of the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army are following them. They've gone out of Egypt and the army are following them, chasing them down. But the Ruach Elohim, the wind blows and parts the sea and they are able to walk through on dry ground. That same rescuing wind stops and the judgment comes back in upon the Egyptians. The judges, the leaders of Israel, they have that, that breath of God empowering them for certain tasks. And then a man called Ezekiel is given a vision where he prophesies to dry bones. And the dry bones, he says, prophesies to the wind and the wind comes and brings the dry bones back to life. Maybe that's something that you need this morning. There's some dry bones in your life. There's a dry and what feels like dead vision or dream in your heart. And you need the Ruach Elohim to come and breathe that thing back to life. So when they're there in this upper room, they're not thinking this is a strange weather event that's occurring right now. They are unquestionably knowing that that is the presence of God that has just come to them. The windstorm and the fire. The first time that we see God as fire in the Old Testament is in Genesis chapter 15, where He calls a man called Abraham, their forefather, their ancestor, Father Abraham. He's got many sons, but actually only two and, and, and lots of people from them. But, but Father Abraham, they know this story where God says, I'm going to make you a nation, Abraham. I'm going to give you heaps and heaps of kids. And Abraham says, well, God, thank you. I believe you, but can you just give me something to make me know that you're definitely going to deliver on your promise? And God says, Abraham, get me a ram, get me a heifer, get me a goat, get me a turtle dove and get me a pigeon. And Abraham was not thinking that we're going to have a barbecue. He was thinking, oh, we're going to make a treaty. 
because that's what you did in those days to make a treaty. And he halved all the animals except for the birds. They were to literally put one on each side and he put them separately. And the idea in those days that the two parties that made the treaty, that made the covenant to cut a covenant would walk through those halved animals and they would say, may what has been done to these animals be done to you and I if we don't keep our end of the bargain. But what Abraham does, he just sits there. He actually falls asleep. And in the very darkness, dark, dark, dark at night, he gets really scared. And then he sees a flaming torch pass through the cut up animals, the halved animals. And he says, he doesn't say anything. He's terrified. But it's the presence of God going through. And and God doesn't ask Abraham to go through because God knows that Abraham can't possibly fulfil his end of the bargain. Who knows that? Who knows that you can't possibly fulfil your end of the bargain when it comes to God? You've tried and you've failed. Well, fortunately, God walked through that Himself and He said, I'll, I'll pay the price. I'll bear the burden if you don't fulfil your end of the bargain. And that's what happened on the cross. The next thing that happens after that, after that covenant when Moses comes out and he does the staff thing and they go through on dry land, is that after the wind is blown, a fire, pillar of fire guides the people through the desert by night. And then God says, I want to make a covenant with a nation. I want you guys, I want this nation of Israel. I want you to be my special people. I want you to be my special people. I remember when Daz told me that he wanted me to be his special person. He phrased it like this. Let's talk about me. I was like, okay. And then he said, and you. And I was like, oh. And, um, and oh, man, here's God saying to a nation, I want you to be my special people. I'll I'll forsake everyone else and and I'll look after you. Will you forsake everyone else and look after me? But but, but side note, I'm going to bless everyone through you. I've got a forever plan that includes everyone, but I want to show people how good I am. Can we keep covenant? Can we create this relationship? And they go to Mount Sinai and God shows up. He has them prepare themselves just like you would for a wedding. He has them prepare themselves. And then he shows up on the mountain and fire hits the mountain and, and it, it smokes and there's lightning and it shakes and the people are terrified. Of course they are. Moses is up the mountain. He gets the Ten Commandments and he says, okay, guys, it's time to come. And they're like, no way. We are not going anywhere near that thing. That is terrifying. And in Exodus 20, 20, it says, don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of Him will keep you from sinning. He says, sure, it's a fire, but the idea is that it burns stuff in you. The idea is, on live stream, please excuse me, please don't get offended. I'm gonna burn the crap out of you. You've got a whole lot in there and I wanna get rid of it. Will you let me come close? Will you come close so that I can get that out of you? People say about their spouse, oh, they bring the worst out of me. Yes, exactly. That's what's supposed to happen. The worst is supposed to get out of you. That's what marriage is formed for. And the fire of God is meant to come and get the crap out of us. I hope you're okay with that. And so years earlier, Moses had been at that same mountain in Exodus 3. It says, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. 
When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 12, God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. So here they are, asked to come close. And they said, no, Moses, you just talk to him for us. We don't want it, we're scared. And Moses recounts it in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 4. At the mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire. I stood as an intermediary between you and the Lord, for you were afraid of the fire and did not want to approach the mountain. They said, this is too much for us. They said, we don't understand this expression of love that looks destructive. And they're like, we don't understand that, so we want to distance ourselves from it. But here's the thing, we can't. Change the fire. When you teach your child how to deal properly with fire, you don't say, it's cool, like just ignore it, you'll be fine. You teach them to revere that fire. You teach them to take notice of that fire. You want them to know that 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 fire won't change and actually they have to change their behaviour toward the fire. And it is the same with the Lord our God. He doesn't say, oh, just relate to me however you want. He says, I am a fire. And I want you to come close because I want to deal with some stuff in you. What happens is that those people are not changed and they go back to worshipping because we're always going to go back to worshipping something. And they go back to worshipping something that is comfortable. They worship a golden calf. They make a calf, the gods that the Egyptians used to worship, golden calves. And they say, this feels familiar to us. This feels safe to us rather than that horrible fire. Later, they build the temple and fire comes in the temple and smoke fills the temple. Later, Elijah is at Mount Carmel with a bunch of fake prophets, prophets of a fake God. And, and there's a burning and there's a, they're, they're having a test, a face-off to say, your God might burn this sacrifice and if He does, He's real. And my God might burn this sacrifice and if He does, He's real. And this sacrifice over here is completely left and nothing happens. And this sacrifice over here is completely consumed. Our God is a consuming fire. So when the people are gathered in the upper room, these Galilean Jews seeing tongues of fire are just pew, 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 pew. <laughs> That means they're pinging back to their stories. They have no doubt that this fire is God. And they haven't just got those old stories, they've got their new stories as well. They've got John the Baptist in Matthew 3.11 saying, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater than I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the question for us this morning is, will you allow the fire of God to burn up crap that is in your life? Or will you distance yourself and say, ah, I'm not ready for that? You see that you don't have the option because we're in the new covenant that is marked by grace, unmerited favour of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no intermediary anymore apart from Jesus Himself. So when we can't say, Moses, you go for us, Bron, 
You're a weirdo in worship. Sometimes you go for us. You go close. I've seen you at Overflow. Like you, you go sort it out. You go do that stuff. And God's like, no, there's no intermediary anymore. You come close or you say no. But realise that you're making a choice. You're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't like fire. I don't like the thought of it. Well, it's not up to you to put your definition on God. It's up to God to give us His definition and allow us to change and change us from the inside out to accommodate who He is. Hebrews verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 28, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshipping Him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. 1 Corinthians 3, But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. This is talking specifically about teaching, but the principle remains, what are you building into your life? What is it that you are building your life upon? Will it escape the flames? Katie and I Netflixed and binge watched a show for a day the other week, whole day. It was great. I can tell you that is not escaping the flames. That is not eternal stuff. What are you building into your life that will remain and that will actually survive? Last scripture, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Don't you realise that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We, you, me, we, us, Gaira, Gunnedah, Bendy, Armadale, everywhere, we who love God are the temple of God and His Spirit lives in us. And uh, he, he dwells in us individually, but He dwells in us corporately as we submit ourselves to Him. He is the consuming fire. And not only that, He is the wind of God, the breath of God that gives life and empowerment to us to do what He has called us to do. He not only wants to burn the stuff out of you, He wants to empower you to do the work that He's got for you. He is a consuming fire. He is wind and fire. He has power. And my desire would be that we would be like Jeremiah who say, there's a fire shut up in my bones and I need to speak. I need to do, I need to enact what God has called me to do. I can't not do it. And that only comes through us pressing into the presence of God and stirring up our hunger for Him. This is real. This is not back then and that's all this power. That's called cessationalism. And this is not, we all get on the bandwagon and we make ourselves spectacles. That's called sensationalism. No, we just press into the presence of God and say, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. I surrender to you. Daz and I were in Fiji recently and Manoa, are you the only Fijian person here this morning? Jerry, Pastor Jerry, Bulavanaka, Vanaka Vekalevu, Sotatela. Um, we were in Fiji recently and Daz and I were having dinner and this lady was talking to us, a Fijian lady and I was asking her about the murals that were on the, the walls of where we were staying and I said, oh, that looked like it was the interaction between white people and Fijians. And I said, that looks different to our history. And she said, oh, that's because the first people that came here were missionaries. 
And I said, oh, really? And she said, yeah, yeah. What happened was we were still cannibalising at that stage, but the missionaries came on their boats to the Lao Islands and a chief there gathered everybody and he stationed all his warriors on the mountain and the boats started to roll in and they were getting ready. And then the chief said, stop. The power that is within them is way greater than the power that we have. He said, there's a fire on that boat and we are not able to withstand it. He understood that that's what was coming at him. And so right now I wanna make room. Let's make room. Let's come to our feet. I decided a while ago, in all locations, let's come to our feet. I decided a while ago that if there's ever a chance to respond, that I'm gonna respond. And whether I feel the beating in my heart that you so often do when you feel like God wants you to respond to something or whether I just am making a choice, I'm gonna respond. And recently I was at an event and I was there and I was feeling the beating in my heart. I was going out right or wrong, but I knew I was going out anyway. And uh, the preacher was saying, hey, we're gonna have a time where you can come forward if you want. He wasn't offering prayer, he wasn't offering anything. He's just saying, will you get undignified before God? And I, I was, me and the kids were there and I was right up the back of the arena that we we're at and I just bolted. As soon as he gave the call, I just bolted down the front, but so did everyone else. So I only kind of made it to the very back of the floor in front of everyone. And I was okay with that. And he said, we'd be undignified before God. He gave the challenge. And I was like, yep, let's go. And I raised my hands and I prayed in the Holy Spirit, tears streaming down my face. No internal change, nothing shifting that I knew about, but I'm like, by faith, I'm receiving whatever you're doing in my heart right now, God. And I thought when it all kind of settled down, I left the kids up there, I better get back to them. And I turned around and there's Lockie and Kate and they'd bolted down behind me. And I was like, oh God, if you can mark our family with that, do it, Lord. Like, just let that be. Let that be my example to my children always that I am someone who responds to the power and the presence of God, whether I feel it or whether I know it. And so right now, uh, locations, your pastors are gonna, um, release you from this moment in just a moment. We're going to pray together before we do. We're going to pray all together across. Can you imagine the power and the unity of this prayer? So let's pray this prayer together. Lord, engulf us in Your holy fire. Burn our dross, refine us, ignite us and multitudes in the land for Your glory, setting Your church on fire. Amen, amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.